Do you believe in the blue guys? Oh, welcome back to the Blue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Check us out. NetsDaily.com, Almighty Baller Radio, iTunes. Give us a rating. Five stars. We don't want anything less. Facebook, we're on there. Glue Guys. Twitter, at BK Glue Guys. Brian. Mike, you're fired up, baby. We and, why, had, and why shouldn't you be? We just had a big old interview. Yeah. A news-making interview, maybe. You're, you're Probably glowing. not. You're glowing from that interview, Mike. <laughs> I'm sweating. That's you, what I'm doing. That's why I wear a black shirt. You are charmed. I can stains. tell. Um, we talked to Irina Pavlova from former president of, say the name, Onyxum. You got it, Mike. You did it. Um, if you don't know who she is, she's she was one of the lead sort of decision-makers with the Nets in terms of the overall business side, in terms of the overall you know, massive... She's the representative for the Russians, basically, for the Nets. If you don't know who she is and you're listening to this podcast, I want to meet you. I want to know where you're getting, how you're finding us. That's what, <laughs> you know? They just, be an odd... There are a couple of people that just listen for killer comparisons. Yeah. I will let you know that. Um, so we did talk to her. Um, so we, we did this for you at the end of the week. So if you're going away for the weekend, it's a good, nice little car ride for you. If you want to listen to this interview we have coming up with Irina, um, let's, just have a, let's just hit play. Yeah, shoot into it. We should have a little uh, music thing for when I... Anyways, here's Irina. <laughs> How long ago, I guess, was it since you left the Nets, and what have you been up to since that time? Um, my last day officially was May 31st, and uh, I've just been kind of traveling and relaxing. I decided I'm going to take the summer off and uh, figure out what's next, and uh, I'm not in a huge rush to jump into something new. I want to make sure I find the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so summer is off <laughs> so i've been traveling mostly yeah mike have you been traveling at all this summer yeah i've been i'm i think brian and i are at the point in our lives where about all of our friends are getting married in the same summer um so it's it's been a wild like like i've been i think i've been to six weddings so far this summer mm. and four bachelor parties and uh it's consuming my life but it's all fun stuff it's all great good wow um yeah <laughs> Um, so it's funny that we're talking to you now. We've been trying to get this interview going for a little while, and we talked to you the day after Zach Lowe's piece comes out from ESPN about the Nets, and you're the start. You're the lead story of it, and it talks about I know. The- I, I, I couldn't believe it. Such a good anecdote you made for, for the opening paragraph. <laughs> Thank <laughs> yeah, you, Zach. Really is. <laughs> well, well, take us back to that Italian dinner in Chicago. I, you know, where, well, you know I, for people who didn't read it, sort of what, when was it in the season and sort of what happened, I guess, there? And, of course, we want to figure out who the slow clap starter was. But tell us, you know, oh, I think bring it's us back. Been, it, it's been disclosed already. Uh, uh, yeah, so this was actually the last road trip uh, of the season before the last game of the season in Chicago and the night before we had a team dinner. Uh, something that's become uh, a wonderful tradition, actually, since uh, Sean Marks uh, joined. And uh, I think at first, uh, you know, the, the players were early in the season. They, they weren't always showing up for those events. But by the end of the season, um, I think, you know, everyone realized they could invite family there. It was a great time to hang out and just kind of bond uh, off the court. So, yeah, this was the last occasion to do that for the season. And also, you know, extra special for me because I was announcing that uh, I was leaving the team. Yeah. So how did so I guess if you want to say who did the slow clap? I mean, because there is a um, lot of it's funny that there's so much interest in little things like that. We Nets fans, you know, we funny. have these little things we got to hang on to. So 
It was Sean Kilpatrick started this slow clap, and it was quickly picked up. Yeah, and it was a very touching moment for me. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the only one who uh, picked up on that whole team dynamic. But you could see, I mean, it, it was such a different environment this past season. It, it was really a joy to see those guys bond together. Yeah, he's a sweet, he's a sweet guy. Um, so, do you want to take us back, maybe, to how how it all sort of started, like? Um, just how you first got involved working with the Nets from, from the perspective of Onyxon? Oh, wow. You want to go that far back? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, we want Because I, I think for some Nets fans, there's so much interest in sort of the, the mysterious business arm of the Nets. And you were the leader of the mysterious business right. arm of the Nets. Right. Okay, let's go all the way back. Yeah, so uh, I was uh, living in Russia at the time. Um, I've known Dmitry Razumov since we were kids, uh, so basically he brought this opportunity to me, and uh, I wasn't looking in the space. I was looking for a job, definitely not in basketball or, or in sports, and when he first brought it up to me, you know, my first question was, you know, how much basketball knowledge do I need? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, listen, you're not going to be involved in the basketball side. We have professionals taking care of that. Uh, you need to figure out the business side and, you know, keep an eye on it and just kind of be the conduit between the management um, in New York and and ownership group in Russia, because obviously they, they weren't going to move and be on the ground full time. Um, so that was my mandate. Um, and, you know, basically my, my official title was I was president of the holding company that owned the Nets. But um, the head of business operations for the Nets is Brett Yormark, and, you know, he's, uh, he's a busy guy, and he was doing a great job. So I was there basically, you know, as, um, as a help to him. If he needed me, I was always there for support. But, you know, he said it was his organization. He was running it. Uh, and I was more... Uh, you know, on the side of interacting with Russia, a lot of admin stuff, you know how it is like when you have a company in the States, there's a lot of filing, reporting, there's accountants, there's lawyers, and we actually started, um, you know, doing some other things, the, doing other deals, um, as you know, you know, we got Nassau Coliseum, Paramount Theater, uh, we built a new practice facility, so... I think my job was more focused on kind of project side. You know, mm-hmm. my when I first talked to Michael and Dmitry, they said, um, you're just going to have to do whatever needs to be done. <laughs> so I was kind of figuring out as I went along. And, you know, some days it was uh, something. I was pretty busy, actually, with Barclays Center at first mm-hmm. because that was the biggest project. Um, then, you know, once we rebranded the team and moved them, then it was the practice facility. So it was always... I have to be honest, like, I probably did more real estate than I ever thought I would in my entire life. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my, my work was more project-based. Um, Barclay Center, you know, when people ask me what I did day-to-day, I said I argued with lawyers and accountants over money. That, that was the bulk <laughs> of my job. Yeah. Uh, and then there's NASA, there's practice facility, there's Paramount Theater, so there, there was always something. Um, but, you know, just to make sure that all the fans understand, I was not doing basketball <laughs> trades. I was not drafting. I was not involved on the basketball side. That is not my area of expertise. And I don't think even seven years with the organization would be enough, you know, for someone to actually get there. Sure. So I'm very happy that we have Sean and Kenny on that side. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about the branding side of it. Can you talk a little bit about, like, the what that was like basically making that move um behind the scenes sort of like what those conversations were leading to the the rollout of the brooklyn nets 
It was very exciting. And, you know, it's funny, like, when you see the finished product, it seems like such a no-brainer, you know. Yeah, black and white, yes, that. But there was so much discussion, and Jay-Z was involved at that time, you know. So it was really fascinating to, like, have a seat at the table and, you know, actually have a voice. There's so many things to go through, you know. There's so many iterations of the logo and the color scheme and the fonts and everything. It was uh, it was really fascinating. It's uh, definitely one of the highlights of my career. Yeah. And is there sort of anything that like, so it was an unprecedented move for the Nets to go from Jersey to Brooklyn and it may, it was such a big deal. Is there anything that you look back and you wish maybe you could have changed that there's a different direction you think the team could have gone? I'm not talking about basketball necessarily. I'm just talking about maybe a different way you guys could have positioned the team or are you basically a hundred percent satisfied with how it worked out? Um, you know what? I am satisfied how it worked out. I mean, obviously leaving basketball side aside, um, there are a few things that, you know, we would have changed about the arena if we could, but at the point we got involved, it was already, you know, a done deal. So like we, we couldn't go back and redo the drawings. We did look into you know, making it hockey friendly and we did reach out to Charles Wong at the time and he wasn't interested. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of ironic now because it's not like we were looking at for a commitment uh we were just asking is there a chance you might be interested and if he had said yes at that point uh we probably would have uh, made it more hockey friendly but you know at the point we got involved there where it it would have meant the construction delay and another i think about 50 million dollars so you didn't only have to build an arena or be part of a building an arena process and sort of retrofitting it to what you guys wanted when you guys came in you had to build a practice facility I was lucky to go to the, this practice facility, and it's something that Nets fans hear a lot about, that it's a reason why maybe players actually would want to come here at some point. Um, how did that whole process work? When did you find that real estate, and when did the sort of this vision come out of, you know, we're going to build this rooftop, basically, practice facility that looks like you could have, like I said to Brian when I first saw that it looks like you would have a wedding there to be honest, like I like not just because I'm a basketball you could, fan, you, could. you know, like I was <laughs> like, could. they should run it out for weddings because the view is amazing. I think we've been offered to rent it out for bar mitzvahs. Yeah. I don't think we've done it. Uh, <laughs> Sean is very protective of that space and for good reason. I mean, it is their sanctuary. But basically, I think, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember the, the exact timeline, but um, after we opened uh, Barclays and moved the team, I think the next kind of thing on the menu was, um, you know, for a Brooklyn brand, you know, where are we, where are we going to be? Why are we not in Brooklyn? And also, I think it was after Hurricane Sandy, our existing facility in uh, East Rutherford, got flooded, it had a lot of problems, we had to like, shut it down for a while, and the guys had to practice at the practice court at Barclays. We kind of had a decision, you know, put more money into the old facility to bring it uh, you know, up to par, or to look at something new. And we decided to look for something new. Ideally, we wanted it to be in Brooklyn, but we weren't really sure we could find something, because it's a very, very strict requirement you know, to find so much space uh, that can be column-free. Uh, especially, you know, like I said, in a busy borough. Um, if you're, you know, um, somewhere in a more rural area, you definitely can uh, and just build from scratch. Um, so we we looked for a while, and uh, Milton Lee, who was our um, 
who was the head of our D-League team at the time, and David Carlock, who was our consultant actually from, from Barclays Bays and Stillas. They visited, I think, almost every practice facility in the country, and not just basketball, just looking for best practices and the layout and what people like and don't like. And uh, we considered, I think, over 50 sites all over New York. Like I said, we really preferred to be in Brooklyn, but uh, the last minute, we're sure it was going to turn out. Just looking at an old abandoned warehouse, uh, you know, you really had to use some creativity to see how, how amazing it could be. Um, and can I say it actually, it turned out better than, than I even imagined. I mean, the views are fantastic. Um, the Players' Lounge, I think, is like one of the best uh, probably among all the NBA teams. At least that's what I've been hearing from other teams. And it's a place where, you know, people, players want to spend time in. It's uh very user-friendly. You want to hang out. If you want to, you know, play video games and have a nice meal, we have a full-time chef there. Uh, so we feed them well. You know, we make sure they eat healthy. I, I still use we, I guess I should say they. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> about uh, that. That, that, it's, that. I mean, and it's hard to separate yourself, I imagine. Yeah. You know. I know. Give me, give me some more time. Yeah, I'll yeah. get there. It's still we for me. But no, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of the way it's it came out and you know it was a huge team effort and you know it wasn't easy no construction project ever is as uh, you know i now know <laughs> and especially you know when you're uh, retrofitting an old building you know it's like you never know once you go into a wall you what you're going to find yeah. so um yeah it, it was an easy process. i'm very happy with the end result um so so the hss center is like a great example of how a business asset can contribute to the basketball side of the product. Um, can you talk about, like, in general, just, like, how much how much of the business side, like, communicates with, with the management? Or, like, is so is it, like, a solid wall of communication? Or is it a fence? Or, like, how much do... It, how much communicating is there between the two parties? Uh, it's definitely not a wall. Mm. Uh, it's a fence. And I can tell you that, you know, as much... You know, I can't speak for how much Brett and Sean communicate now, but I can tell you that Sean is making all of his own decisions. There's really no no influence from the business side. All decisions are driven by basketball considerations. And I think everyone understands that it's success on the basketball court that drives the business. So, you know, we're all rooting for the basketball side to do, you know, as well as they can because it helps the business, obviously. to the extent that basketball can help the business side, of course, there's a lot of communication. You know, Sean and Kenny both meet with season ticket holders and fans and, you know, try to help the business side as much as they can. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a peaceful coexistence, but I would say that each side operates pretty independently with some cooperation in between that is, you know, needed on any team and actually in any company. You need communication between the product team and the marketing team, and that's basically the same thing you have in any sports organization. What went into hiring Sean Marks was at the time when when he was hired, I think the belief was that Brian Colangelo was the front runner and that was sort of the belief because he's an established name and no one knew who Sean Marks was. Obviously, in basketball, people did. But what went into when and how, I guess, did Sean Marks come to the picture with taking over the Nets in terms of the basketball operations? You know, that's a great question. Um, I was in charge of kind of keeping track of the list of, uh, you know, everyone that was recommended to us and doing some background research. 
And I can't even remember how I got Sean Marks on the list. And he told me later that we'd met before, but I didn't remember it at the time. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if you guys heard of the process we had. Uh, I guess it was pretty unusual. And uh, at, at first, we, we had a lot of uh, skeptical feedback from uh, other people, but it ended up being a huge success. We first sent out a written assignment to, to our final candidates with pretty general questions, you know, um, how do you assess our current situation? What would you do? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, you would think that everyone would say pretty much the same things. I was kind of expecting to see much of the same stuff. But it's amazing how different people come across, you know, even like when they write about general things. And one thing we're concerned about that, you know, like people might not want to put their thoughts on paper. Um, Mm -hmm. What if, you know, it leaks or you steal their ideas or whatever. But, you know, it was a really interesting kind of first round to see how people think and and approach um, this task. And then the second part was uh, we had an in-person interview, but it was one candidate, you know, at a round table with five of us interviewing Mm -hmm. them at the same time. So it wasn't even an interview. It was more like a chat, Mm -hmm. you know, just to get to know the person. And, you know, Sean really stood out. He was um, super confident, uh, you know, without um, selling us on any pipe dreams and, you know, any Mm -hmm. rose-colored glasses prospect as to where we were. Um, It was very obvious, you know, he he has tremendous knowledge of basketball. And also, he's a relationship guy. He he knows everyone. He has amazing uh, connections. He, he's really well-liked and very well-respected. And you could just see, you know, the way he came across, the way he talked about his experience with the Spurs. To be honest, I was a little skeptical. I was thinking, well, you know, RC and Pop, you know, are the superstars there and, you know, everyone else is second tier. But you could tell Sean really learns by absorbing so much information around him. And you could tell, like, he, you know, he's not second tier. He was right up there with both RC and Pop, um, you know, helping the Spurs become the Spurs. Um, And, you know, it was just a very refreshing feel. And um, I, I think we all we're in agreement that it'd be nice to, you know, get someone who's hungry, who's new, who's never done it before, who has a great vision, and who we all really liked on a personal level. You know, we all got along with him. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a chance for us. Uh, it was definitely a big risk for Sean as well. I mean, no no doubt about mm-hmm. that. Uh, but I think, you know, this first season with him and Kenny proves that it, it was a great decision. And uh, I think everyone's very pleased with what he's been doing. Yeah, um, and <clears throat> going back to the Italian dinner in Chicago uh, and the sort of f- familial uh, energy in the room, h- how do you think exactly like Sean Marks goes about fostering that kind of energy, that kind of culture uh, among his players? Like, is there anything specifically that, that stands out that he does uniquely um, versus other GMs? Uh I think there is, and I think the big difference is that it comes from the heart. You know, it's mm-hmm. not something he just decides, I'm going to start doing, I'm going to build this culture. It is something that, you know, he feels it in his gut. So he surrounds him with like-minded people. It's funny, actually, I was just talking to someone from the other team, um, and he was telling me about um, Summer League in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what, we're all looking at your staff, and we're all really jealous 
<laughs> they hang out together. They have a lot of fun together. They go to karaoke. They go play golf. They go gamble. It's like it's a really good team that Sean, Sean has built, you know, around him. And you want to be part of that. Like I said, like, you know, I'm jealous, too. I, I want to be on a team with a culture like that. And it's the same with the players. Um, so I think, you know, it's all... Uh, Sean also says, you know, he doesn't want just to have people with the right culture. He wants people that are culture builders. And uh, that's, that's how he finds them. But, you know, I, I think it's a gift. I think it's a gift from God. Like I said, it's not something that you can just decide to do yeah. and, you know learn some technicals um he just has that knack and i think so does rc so you know that that's something that was probably absorbed at his time uh during his time with the spurs as well and i'm guessing you know no criticism of billy king but i'm guessing it was that sean is a clear departure from billy king right i mean from from everything he's done was that sort of the reason why sean was so appealing was the fact that he is so different from, I guess, what it was like maybe under Billy King? I don't know. I don't think anyone was really comparing him to Billy King. You know, we were just ready for a fresh start. And, you know, we wanted someone hungry who wanted to be in Brooklyn and who wanted to do it with us. And, uh, you know, Sean was our guy. He was all those things and, uh, you know, brought a great pedigree to the table. And, uh, um, like I said, just both personally and professionally was uh, very well liked by everyone. When Sean, I, I, you don't have to give me the whole written assessment of when Sean, I guess, wrote the first piece for you guys. Um, but what is what you're seeing now, the things he's doing with restricted free agency and getting draft picks by using cap space, was that the vision he laid out or is that has he evolved, I guess? Has his you know plan evolved you know over what? time? I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't remember. I don't remember if he put that much detail into the plan. Um, he probably did. Um, I know, you know, just from conversations that, you know, what he told Michael and Dmitry he's going to do, he is doing exactly that, and he's sticking to his plan, and obviously he's showing tremendous discipline about it. Um, so, yeah, I I can't really answer the question how, how close he's, uh, you know, staying to the playbook that he submitted, uh, whatever it was, a year and a half ago. Yeah, here's a here's a plead the fifth style question. So you worked with many. <laughs> no, I really, I just, I don't remember. I don't. Know. No, no, I'm not no, talking. No, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm setting you up for plead the fifth. <laughs> um, so you've worked with many head coaches over the course of your tenure with the Nets, um, and excluding Kenny Atkinson, current head coach, which was your favorite to work with, and why? Oh, I'm not going to go into that. You can't pick favorites. Okay. <laughs> Kenny is my favorite. Kenny is Fair. my all-time favorite. <laughs> totally. Why Why is Kenny your all-time favorite? I guess what about Kenny? I think we see him as, you know, he seems to be the ultimate worker. Um, and I think as fans, that's we appreciate the fact that we see a coach who seems to be working hard. When maybe that wasn't always the case with previous coaches, why, why do you like Kenny so much, I guess? What stands out about him? You know what, I think this this past year was very special for me personally because, again, what Sean and Kenny created on the basketball side, I felt like I was part of that family. They made me feel included, although, you know, I'm not a basketball person, but, you know, obviously I'm a huge supporter of everything they, they were doing. And uh, I think, you know, my relationship with Sean and Kenny was the best that I've ever had with a GM and a coach just because of that, because of I was part of their family. And, you know, they're part of mine. Um, so, you know, we we see each other socially. We talk about the team. We talk about life. 
I worry about Kenny because he's a workaholic. He just never stops. <laughs> I worry that, you know, he doesn't sleep and he doesn't eat. Mm. And, you know, when I tell him, like, listen, you need to take better care of yourself, I think it just goes into one ear and out the other. And, you know, I actually brought reinforcements on board last year. Um, I got to know Jeremy Lin's mom um, a little bit because uh, she, she came on the West Coast trip with us. And she said the same thing. And I said, Kenny, it's not just me. Jeremy's mom is saying you have to eat and sleep, too. So you, you have to listen. <laughs> but, you know, that's just the way he is. He, he is extremely hard on himself, very hard driven. And, I mean, it's fantastic because, you know, you want a hardworking coach for your team. He absolutely loves the guys, and, you know, he has so much respect for them and just wants to bring out the best in them. And it, it's just a really nice dynamic to see. So I really I really enjoyed this past year more than, you know, I ever have the, the previous six, even when, you know, we're doing better on the court. It just wasn't the same environment. Um, and, and talking about not being the same environment overall, um, so there's like still this this issue that we kind of want to figure out with Jason Kidd is if you can provide any insight, sort of what happened um, with that one season that he's with the team, and then there was a, a splintering of some kind. How did that develop? I guess was that did you think from the start that this was not going to work out with Jason and I guess Billy, or or what did that was that a, a quick splinter basically? Um, oh, that's a question no I didn't think that it wasn't going to work out and you know obviously we're all very excited for that season that was a fun season mm. you know to have uh, Paul and KG and have Jason and you know there's like there's a lot of excitement in the air and I remember going to training camp with them that year it was uh, you know that was the only other time when it felt like we were one big family mm. um, but you know it just again it, it's all about having the right people on board I don't think we had the right staff and I don't think we we had the right people, you know, like, you know, if you go back to that quote from Zach's article, you know, it didn't feel like a team. We had 15 mm. guys on the roster and yeah, some of them were superstars, but it just wasn't clicking. Um, so, um, you know, I don't think I have the full story of what exactly happened in the end. I know that Jason wanted more of a seat at the table, um, you know, uh, when it came to basketball decision-making, and, you know, I think justifiably so. But I don't really have the full story, so, you know, I don't want to speculate as to what happened at the end. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and speaking back to the the questions of, like, culture, um, do you think Mikhail Prokhorov is, is sort of res- responsive to, to that kind of energy? Um, does he does he participate in the sort of familial bond, or is he uh, a little bit too far removed at the moment to sort of get involved? I think, well, first of all, you know, geographically, he's, yeah. he's removed, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it makes it a little more difficult. But also, I think, you know, he was looking for the right guy, and Sean is his guy. Yeah. So this is, you know, and Sean and Kenny to, to foster this. And you know, Michael is very supportive, but obviously supportive from afar. But I know that Sean has a great relationship with him. You know, he can always pick up the phone and, and talk. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, it's very it's very healthy now. And, and I can't – we'll let you go in a second here. But I got to ask one thing. As I was doing research for this interview, uh, one of the photos that popped up was, you, was with you and Prince William and Kate Middleton uh, when you were at Barclays together when Prince William came. Um, <laughs> Mike, Mike's a huge Anglophile. Here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how did that all come together? How did how did that? I mean, uh, Paul McCartney's been there, you know, Jay Z, all that stuff. But you have royalty literally coming to Barclays. How did that all get set up? 
Uh, well, I was a very lucky recipient of that. So I, I have Adam Silver and Michael Fulcrum to thank for that. I think the Royals were going to be in town, you know, for a charity event, and we wanted to go to a basketball game, and we happened to have a home game. Um, the, the office and Adam reached out to us and, uh, you know, set the whole thing up. And I think, I, I'm guessing, I'm not really sure, but I think the original plan may have been for Adam to be with them. Then I think it was uh, Michael. And Michael wasn't going to come out, you know, from Moscow just to, you know, just for one dinner. And, uh, and basically they ended up, they ended up seeing half the game. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it was a Cavs game of, uh, right. of all games we could have had that night. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like sitting in the dinner with them, you know, checking out the score. I'm like, okay, okay. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. <laughs> and then of course, as soon as they came downstairs, LeBron really turned it up and just destroyed us. And yeah. I was like, Oh, you should have just, <laughs> So, um, yeah, you know what, it, it's all, it came from the NBA and they helped us organize. It was definitely a huge, uh, you know, event for, for Barclays Center and for me personally to, you know, to be able to support site with them. They were absolutely lovely. And, how uh, you know, to be honest, was, like, the seven, well, I was going to ask, sorry, how engaged was Prince William as a basketball fan? I mean, how, how, how much was he, was he pleasantly watching or was, was he a nap? Look how deep an Mike analysis, you know, criticizing <laughs> be, Lopez's honest, defense in some way. No, I think they were both just watching LeBron, and yeah. LeBron oh. knew it, and he was putting on the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I had a funny anecdote uh, when I was sitting next to Prince William towards the end of the game. He said, um, "Oh, that popcorn smells delicious," <laughs> and I said, "Why don't you? Why don't you have some?" And you know, we had some under under the chairs, and I thought, you know, I could just go out and bring some fresh ones. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, "The future king of England says." Oh, I don't want to have it because it might get stuck in my teeth. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> and I said, and I said, well, you're done with the photo ops now. I I think you're okay if you want to have some popcorn. You know, just have some popcorn. So he reaches, you know, under the seat, grabs a bob of pop popcorn, offers me some, and I'm thinking, oh my God, it's going to get stuck in my teeth, <laughs> and I refuse. <laughs> so then he turns to Dikembe, and of course the picture that you know made all the newspapers the following day was Dikembe's big hand in this yeah. you know box of popcorn <laughs> with Prince William offering it to him. Um, so they were absolutely lovely, and I was going to say you know in the seven years that I was with the team, I've done you know a lot of favors for a lot of people with uh, tickets and suites and access and whatever. I have never been thanked more than I was by them. I mean, they were uh, so appreciative and just absolutely lovely. I absolutely enjoyed having them there. It was a lovely experience, and I, I hope they do come back. Well, and, and I do wonder, like, so, like, there's a sort of a rivalry between the Nets and the Knicks, not on the court but off the court with the terms of who can get the most famous people in the arena. The Knicks have an advantage because of they have the institutional fan base of – you know, older New Yorkers, Larry David, Billy Crystal, stuff like that. Is that something that you guys think about? That like, you know, like if someone super famous, if we can get them in the building, we want to do that every home game if there's possibility. Like, is, is someone that we can throw up on the screen? Is that something you guys actually kind of want to pursue or did want to pursue? When you you know what? I, I think it was always a nice to have, not a must have. That's like, you know, the way I think about it, it's like bad skiers always have the best outfits um <laughs> so you know we 
we need to focus on, you know, on what we have going on on the floor. Mm. And I think our fans are fantastic. You know, I actually love the atmosphere we have at Barclays, especially this past year. It really picked up. You know, it's not a corporate fan base like it is at MSG. And, uh, you know, I think we're still building it, but um, I think it's getting better and better. And I think this this past year, it's actually like we made some huge strides. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's definitely nice to have celebrities, but um, it doesn't really help you sell tickets. It doesn't make the team better. So, again, it's more of an entourage thing than, you, you know, that really moving the dial on anything. Perfect. Well, Irina, thank you so much for giving us so much time. Go feed the ducks. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It. <laughs> Pleasure talking to you. Thanks right. so much. Good talking to you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Good luck with your travels. Bye. Thanks. Yeah, so we just talked to Irina Pavlova, former <clears throat> president of... How do you say the company? I still don't, I should know this. Onyxim, right? like the like the Pokemon. Come on. Um, I don't know. I don't so, know if that's true. I'm just assuming. Yeah. Are we... Are we <laughs> like the Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So... What was the thing that struck you the most about that interview, Brian? If I, if that, I could, if that you could she thinks M- MSG's uh, fan base is corporate losers, a uh, bunch of suits, bunch of stuffy suits in there, and and Nets fans are the real authentic basketball diehards. No, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I can't, I can't parse the whole thing. I think the Sean Marks stuff, in yeah. terms of the process of finding Sean Marks, is interesting. Um, you know, the whole written assessment and then interview and how. I think what that shows is that, you know, so we kind of think of the Russians as this, like, hmm. this consolidated group of all they want at the time was all they wanted was stars and everything. But they let someone like Sean Marks come in, someone who had no cachet, hmm. and he pitched them on a vision that wasn't sexy, but in the least bit, it's the opposite of sexy. And yet he won the interview. I mean, I think they could have had Brian Colangelo if they wanted Brian Colangelo. If I ever get into the Nets managerial offices, I'm going to be hunting around for the file that has those GMs written, the written part portion of that. Fun would that be? Because you know, like someone, someone just wrote like, you know, like, oh, you guys are Brooklyn, you're New York, just attract stars, blah, blah. Like, we're just going to pay and pay and pay and like. Like they could, they would have looked at it and be like, "Is that Billy King 2.0?" Basically, was Hinky gone by then? I think Hinky, Hinky, well, no, Hinky wasn't fired yet, and he was still with. Right. The process was still, still, still going. Thriving. I would like to see what Hinky. Would Hinky, Hinky. I mean, I just want to send. I guess Hinky Marks a bunch of surveys. Hinkying it up. I'm going to send him some Google surveys, just just about <laughs> random stuff. Just, but it can't be multiple choice. It has. He has to be able to fill in. True. He has to be able he to needs, give he his needs points. Some freedom to express himself. Um. Yeah, and then I think like another thing. You know, did you, you read the Zach Lowe? Of course. I think any Nets fan who read that has to feel good, right? Well, it's like uh, it's the difference between like being. Um, bad and and negative versus like being bad and positive <laughs> like the positivity right. goes so far especially with i mean just in, tr- in terms of you know h- how how much people would desire to even cover you journalistically like it just goes a long way and and like so we saw bad and negative which was the process yeah. that was a negative thing even though the, yes. the sixers fans were yes. in it they enjoyed it that was disgusting. I mean, and, and I still think that's not going to reap what people b- believe it's going to happen. Like, yeah. there's some belief out there that in three years when Fultz matures and Simmons is good and Embiid is hopefully healthy and have has a grown-up adult by that point, yeah. that they'll be super awesome. But I what I think is mostly going to happen is that they'll still be disappointing. These guys are not – they're all kind of strange personalities. Mm-hmm. Where with the Nets, 
<laughs> they don't have the benefit of getting high lottery picks, so it's kind of easier to get high character dudes. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a, a groundswell of of good vibes. The thing is interesting to me is like I don't I forget if Zach Lowe talked about it in that article, but somebody had been talking about it how fan bases just gravitate towards a a like unifying thought. You know, there's like sort of group think and with the 76ers outside of that fan base everyone was like this is terrible this is a negative thing yes within it they were all on board as far as i could tell and can you think of a better thing to be group thinking about than just like positive family culture vibes like that's that's the thing that they are selling nets fans and it's kind of taken root you know and i get and that's actually a good marketing 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 thing Mm. is that if you're selling family that this team they all go out to dinner together. They do karaoke. I guess as the coaching staff apparently does karaoke. And I wanted to ask, what songs? What's your song, Mike? What's my song? I do Limp um, Biscuit break stuff. It's my ace in, ace in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good because you can't really, you know, there's no singing well, no, like, involved. Break your face tonight. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 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 I'd sung that at a bar and cleared the place out. Everyone was gone. But <laughs> not in a good way. I turned around <laughs> and there was just way. one woman behind me. That was, that um, was it. Let's get it on is sort of where I go. Oh, geez. It hits Here's the, the thing. Well. You don't want to have too long of a song. Sometimes I, like I, I was at a bar. So same weird. same time I was there. Before I had gone on, there was uh, a group that did I got friends in low yeah, place. Well, that's a classic, it goes on right? for like seven minutes though. It's, it takes forever. Yeah, and yeah, and you really do. Well, what's interesting is that there's songs that are good to sing by yourself, but they're not good karaoke songs. Karaoke songs has to be you either have to be an amazing singer, and then you can sing a slow song, or you got to be, you know, it's got to be get the crowd up, get people excited, get people moving and dancing. You know, boy band songs are always good. Yeah, boy band songs are great. But anyways, um, it is a good selling. Legitimately, it's a good selling point. For people who watch the team, the fact that these guys seem to like each other, that they want to hang out, that that there's not this animosity. It will be interesting to see how you insert. So before it was just basically draft picks and super hungry minimum salary dudes, right? Mm -hmm. Now you've inserted D'Angelo Russell into that, who is a guy who I'm sure believes that he should be the star of a team. An interesting point of the Zach Lowe piece is that when Zach Lowe talked about the projected starting lineup for the Nets, D'Angelo was not a part of that. I think it was what? It was Lynn Levert, um, Alan Crabb, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, and then Mozgov. But he also, I mean, there was a couple of instances there where I think his knowledge of the rotation was a little bit, I mean, he, there was a straight up typo where he said Karis Levert was, you know, the incoming Point player court. from the Lakers. So, you know, I, well, no, I think he, he, I know what he, he kind of wrote it oddly. He he said Karis Levert, comma, oh. incoming Oh, and then I he see. said, I think he meant. Oh, he's missing an Oxford comma. There was just a strange. He meant that incoming player from the Lakers as being D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. He just, but he said Karis Avert. Then he meant to say D'Angelo Russell, incoming player from the Lakers. I, I read that too, and I was like, wait, what? We got Karis Avert from the Lakers? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think that's it. If D'Angelo Russell becomes a bench player, one, would he be willing to accept that role? And two, is that even the best thing for this team? Like, wouldn't the best thing for this team is to make, if they're not going to start D'Angelo, and if the choice is between D'Angelo, Karis LeVert, and Lynn, two of those guys got to start, I go D'Angelo and LeVert yeah. and let Lynn go off You the know bench. what it means is that if D'Angelo's coming off the bench, it means that Lynn and LeVert are bawling their faces off. That's the only reason that that's going to happen. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the, it will be interesting to see how the culture will be affected again. 
uh, D'Angelo Russell is came from the Lakers. He came from about the strangest culture vacuum possible. He went from Kobe to just a bunch of terrible guys who were tanking. Um, then you have Damari Carroll. We believe good culture, dude. But he's still a veteran who was on a playoff team. He's been on playoff teams, and now he's on a bad team. How is he going to do that? Mozgov. Who knows what Mozgov's going to be doing? Mm. He seems like a nice guy, but we. Ju- I'm, he he could just be a resigned to the fact that I'm making $18 million. Dude, he's ripping threes in the gym as we speak. What if he's a 45% three-point shooter? How he does that is. impact the next season? Brian. He 100% is, and it's going to be liftoff. Did you see the Kevin Pelton wins total for the Nets? No. One, they are the fourth worst team in the East, Okay, which is an improvement. Yeah, I think it was like 30 wins, so it would be about a 10-win improvement. Before I was in the shower today, and I was like, I have to get prepared for my uh, incoming season like review stuff that we're going to probably have to do. And I was like, what what kind of win total am I thinking about? And I said 29 to myself. I think it was 29 and a half was the projected. Wow, really? you've you got a computer in your brain, Brad. Oh, yeah, Mike. Um, what was also interesting about that is I think, I think the playoff spot, the last playoff spot was like 37 wins that they projected. And I don't know who it was, the Pistons or whatever. Seven wins is a lot. 17 win improvement because they got 20 wins last year, right? Mm-hmm. A 17 win improvement would be I, probably one of the greatest improvements for a, from the worst team ever to, you know, well, worst team in the league to. Look no higher. further than the 2001 2002 Nets, where they went from a 26 win team in the year 2000 and 2001. And then and 2001, <laughs> and then and then leapfrogged up to fifty something, fifty two, I think. So what was different? What was different between was the two J- teams was Jason Kidd. Oh, okay. but that was it. And so D'Angelo right. Russell could probably be <laughs> Jason Kidd, the Jason Kidd Bet, of this he's probably team, better than Jason Kidd, right? probably. Um, it. I'm excited to see this team. I think there's a lot of excitement for this team. I am bullish. That means you're happy about them. Bullish is good, right? <laughs> Are you asking or, are you or telling I'm bearish? Me? I'm asking, asking and telling. It's the opposite of a rhetorical question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I there's. I think the Zach Lowe piece, what we talked about with Irina, seemed uh, extremely positive about the overall direction of this gotta team. Be, gotta be. It's it's everything's looking bright and sunny. All right, stick us out. Oh wait, I got to hook up the thing so I can do the outro. Oh okay. Um, let's hopefully this doesn't kill anyone. Um, one sec. Brian, where is your headphone thing? By the way, uh, thank you again, Irina Pavlova, for joining us. Uh, she was at an undisclosed location, and she joined us on her vacation. Uh, so that was really kind of her to do so. Very generous. Uh, we are aiming for more interviews again. Um, if anyone knows Kenyon Martin. <laughs> no. Did I ever tell my Kenyon Martin story on the pod? No, you have one. That like I like totally clammed up when I met him and oh you didn't tell I was going to ask him for yeah an you, interview. Told, you told me and you and you you barfed on yourself that'll be a time that'll be a story for next time Mike went up to Kenny Martin and just and and ruined <laughs> just, it, ruined his sweater with spaghetti and That's just <laughs> perfect all right um, okay so where can you find us you can find us on iTunes uh, you can find us on netsdaily.com, Almighty Baller Radio Twitter at BK Glue Guys Facebook and give us a rating iTunes five star hugely important we'll talk about our plans for the iTunes ratings next week yes um let's hope this doesn't kill us ready here we go goodbye everybody